Matthew chapter 118, I'm continuing in the series today. Jesus, there is none other. And I want to talk to you about the name, the name, the name of Jesus. Matthew 118, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife. Here's the miracle. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Wow. And she will bring forth a son. And here's what you will call him, Joseph. You will call him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, I'm going to quote from Acts 2.36. Peter is preaching the Pentecost sermon, and here's what he says. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. He's made him Lord and Christ. Father, thank you for this word. And we pray that you'll help us to understand the power and the import of the name. And we will be a people anointed with an understanding of the name. For we know that there is power in the name of Jesus and there is meaning in the name of Christ. And we thank you that, Lord, we worship Jesus who is called the Christ. In his name, amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him there's power in a name. If you don't think there's power in a name, remember Johnny Cash's song about a boy named Sue. <laughs> the use of names in Bible times, especially in Old Testament times, carried a lot more significance than in our day. People often use names to reveal something about the nature of individuals, and God did that too. That's why when God visited Zacharias, he said, you will call your son's name John. And when he visited Joseph and Mary, he said, you will call your son's name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. And all through the Bible, you see God fiddling with names. God changed the name of Abram, meaning high father, to Abraham, meaning father of a multitude. And the name of Jacob, which meant heel catcher or supplanter, to Israel, he will rule as God. Even in the New Testament, Jesus changed the name of Simon, which means hearing or to hear, to Peter, which is a rock. One commentator wrote, to know the name of God, to know the name of God, is to understand the character of God. The name is a part of a person, an extension of the personality of God. In the Bible, when God named himself, and he did that many times, when he revealed a name by which the people of God were to relate to him, he was revealing a facet and an aspect of himself. God is like a many-sided, many-angled diamond that glitters and flashes from many different angles and sides. In Scripture, God used names as a means of progressively revealing who he was. And he progressively did it all through the Old Testament and into the New Testament. For instance, in Exodus 6.3, God said, And I appeared unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob by the name 
of God Almighty. But by my name, Jehovah, I was not known to them. I appeared to those three patriarchs by the name God Almighty. Now we know that Abraham did use the name Jehovah, but God did not make known to him the full significance and the full import of that name in all of its redemptive aspects. So in Exodus 6.3, God is promising to reveal himself to his people in a new way. That is, he began to associate Jehovah, his name, with a new understanding of his character and his presence. So if you continue on in verses 4 through 8, they tell us the significance of Israel of the name Jehovah grew to include its association with redemption and salvation, which Abraham had not fully understood as time passed. We find that God revealed himself as, for instance, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who sees and provides. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord, our peace. Jehovah Nissi, the Lord, our banner. And then he let us know he was Jehovah Rophi, the Lord, our healer, and so on and so on. And every time he revealed one of these names, they looked up and said, oh, now I understand another aspect of you. I didn't know you were my healer until you told me. I didn't know you were my salvation until you told me. Thank God that now in the New Testament we have the full revelation of the name of God. In addition to using names to manifest his character, God used his name to manifest his presence. For instance, at the dedication of the temple, Solomon acknowledged that God was omnipresent and that no temple could contain him. Since God fills the universe, Solomon asked, how in the world can this temple, a man-made structure, contain God? Then he answered his own question by reminding God of his own promise. God had said to them, my name shall be there. Although God's omnipresence could not be confined to the temple, yet the fullness of his character represented by his name could dwell there. So he put his name on the temple. Solomon went on to pray, and this is a powerful prayer. He said, oh God, I pray that all the people of the earth may know your name. Our prayer ought to be, Lord, we pray that the entire earth may come to know your name, which is summarized in the name of Jesus Christ. He linked God's name with his character. God told Pharaoh, And in very deed for this cause, I have raised you up, Pharaoh. I've raised you up. You think you're resisting me. You think you are my enemy. But Pharaoh, I have raised you up to show in you my power and that my name may be declared throughout all the earth through what I do with you. God wanted his name declared. Get that down today. It was important to God that his name would be declared. So the name of God represents his presence, his character, his power, and his authority. God's presence, his power, his character, and his authority are all represented by his name. But scripture expands even more on the importance of God places upon his name. Did you know that God demands fear, reverence, and respect for his name? The Bible says he commands man not to take his name in vain. I've always found it interesting that when somebody out there in that culture swears, they don't say Buddha. They don't say, well, Muhammad. They don't say, well, Krishna. 
They misuse the name of God. Isn't that interesting? God warns his people not to forget his name. Did you know that? It says in Psalms 44, if we had forgotten the name, the name of our God, or stretched out our hands to a foreign God, would not God search this out? If we forget his name, God searches that out. God promises a blessing for those who know his name. Did you know that? There is a blessing for those who know his name. Psalms 91 says, because he, the believer, has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. Hallelujah. That doesn't mean just to know it in your head. It means you believe what the name implies and you speak that name. As a matter of fact, Malachi 3.16 tells us there is a blessing for those who even think on his name. Listen to this. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who constantly think on his name. What's in a name? There is power in a name. Now the good news is the reason we're gathered here today the reason we celebrate all over the world the birth of Jesus Christ, the good news is that when the fullness of time came, God satisfied the longings of his people and fulfilled his word through his prophets by revealing himself in all his power and all his glory through the name Jesus Christ. God's name represents, remember now, his presence, his character, his power, and his authority. So when you say the name of Jesus, God's presence and character and power and authority are manifested. That's why Jesus said, in my name, you will cast out devils. Why do devils bow to the name of Jesus? Because in that name is God's presence, his character, his power, and his authority. Jesus. You shall call his name Jesus. Now, how important is the name Jesus? What does the name of Jesus mean? If anybody knows that, it ought to be us. The word Jesus is from the Greek word Iesus, which in turn comes from the Hebrew word Joshua. Joshua means Jehovah is salvation. So the name of Jesus means Jehovah, my Savior, Jehovah, our salvation, and Jehovah is my salvation. Can we say, thank God, he's my salvation. This is why the angel said, you shall bring forth a son. You won't call him Bill. You won't call him John. But no, 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 you will call his name Jesus, which comes from Joshua, which means Jehovah is our salvation, for he will save his people from their sins. Although others have been named Joshua or Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ is the only one in all of history who actually lived up to what that name actually describes and means. Jesus, the name Jesus, is the culmination of all the Old Testament names of God. It's the highest, most exalted name ever revealed to mankind. The name Jesus actually fulfills all the 11 compound names of Jehovah in one name. The name of Jesus is the name of God that he promised to reveal when he said through the prophet Isaiah, therefore my people shall all know my name. When he said that, he was pointing down the tunnel of time to the day the angel would appear to Mary and say, you will call his name Jesus. And through him, all the nations of the world are going to be blessed. 
So Jesus is our Savior and our salvation from sin. And it's our salvation from sin's consequences. But Peter, in his Pentecost sermon that we read at the beginning, declared that there was much more to Jesus' name. He said that God has made Jesus both Lord and Christ. Both Lord and Christ. Now what in the world does Christ mean? What does that mean when you say Jesus Christ? Is that his last name and Jesus his first name? The word Christ is pronounced Christos in the Greek language. Christos. And it means anointed or anointed one. According to Old Testament law, priests, kings, and prophets were to be anointed for their particular offices. They all were. You anointed the kings, you anointed the prophets, and you anointed the priests. But watch this. The Christ or the Messiah, combined all three of these anointings into one person. This is why Isaiah, when prophesying of the coming of Jesus, said, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me with the anointing of the king, the anointing of the priest, and the anointing of the prophet, all wrapped up in one. We need to understand that Christ, or Messiah, is a title and not a proper name. Now, for instance, most of you in here today... Call me Pastor Jeff. All right? Pastor is the title of the office that I hold. Jeff is my personal name. So you say, Pastor Jeff. Pastor your title. Jeff your name. When you say Jesus Christ, you're saying Jesus is your name. Christ, the anointed one, is your title. Amen. So when you say Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus... You're talking about the anointing he received as his title and the name that God gave him, meaning he will deliver you from all of your sins. Simon Peter first knew the Lord as Jesus, the person. And you know what's interesting? When you read James and John and Jude, the epistles written by the disciples who followed him around and knew him personally, they call him Jesus Christ because they knew him first as Jesus and second as Christ. But when you read Paul, you find Paul over and over again calling him Christ Jesus because he met him as the anointed Christ first, then came to know him as Jesus later. So when you say Jesus, that's his name, Christ, that's his title. Three times in the New Testament, you need to know Jesus accepted the title of Christ, didn't argue with it at all. That means he was either completely crazy, he was a megalomaniac, Or he was who he said he was. When Simon Peter looked at him and said, you are the Christ. I know who you are. You're not just Jesus to me anymore. The Holy Ghost has revealed to me that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He said, Simon Bar-Jonah, flesh and blood has not revealed that to you, but my father who is in heaven. He didn't say, no, no, no. That's putting me higher than I need to be. He said, you got it right, son. When the high priest asked him if he was the Christ, the son of the blessed, Jesus looked at the high priest when he was facing crucifixion and said, I am. When the woman at the well said to him, I know that Messiah is coming who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus looked at her and said, I who speak to you am he. 
I'm not just Jesus. I'm not just a good teacher. I'm not just a charismatic leader. I'm not just a lover of people. I am the Christ, the anointed high priest and king and prophet of the almighty God. There hadn't been one before me. There will never be another one like me afterwards. I am that I am, the Christ of God. Now, as a New Testament church, you know what? We are to be identified by the name of Jesus Christ, not the name on a sign. That name on a sign is for identification purposes only. But we are to be known as a people who believe in all that the name Jesus Christ actually means. Jesus said we would be hated among all men for his name's sake. Did you hear that now? Jesus predicted that there would be conflict, that there would be reaction that there would be problems with his name. I'm going somewhere with this today. Jesus said, you're going to be persecuted and hated among all men because of my name, the quoting of my name, the belief in my name, the preaching of my name, the sharing of my name. The early church was persecuted for the name of Jesus, it tells us in Acts 5.28. The high priest and Pharisees said to Peter and the disciples, did we not strictly command you not to teach in that name? It wasn't that they were teaching, they were teaching in that name. They didn't like that name. Why? Because there is a spiritual reaction in the spirit realm when you use the name of Jesus. Because God's character is behind it, his power is behind it, his personality is behind it behind it. His presence is behind it and his authority is behind his name. So when his name is released into the tainted, defiled spiritual atmosphere of planet earth, it brings a reaction because his name brings authority and life and it reveals the hidden sins that are in darkness. Did we not tell you not to teach in this name? And they beat the disciples for using the name. I suggest to you the church has a problem when we begin hiding the name. I suggest to you there is a problem in our culture when we have a problem with the name. Paul spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus among the Jews, and they attempted to kill him for it. The disciples are described in Acts 15, 26 as men who had risked their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a direct quote. And they considered it a privilege to be counted worthy to suffer for his name. See, what got them persecuted, what got them crucified, what got them martyred, was they would stand up and they wouldn't preach three points in a poem. They wouldn't give motivational talks. They would stand up and preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. And it brought division and it brought trouble and it brought reaction. So watch this church. There was and always has been an issue over the name. To those who love him, his name is wonderful. When we sit in here and worship God on Sunday mornings, Wednesday nights, and our praise reaches into the high places and the presence of God surrounds us, I'm going to tell you why it does. Because his name is like flypaper for the presence of God. His name attracts the glory. His name attracts the blessing. His name dispels sin and brings healing. His name chases the darkness away. His name is hated by devils and loved by the saints. His name has power. To those who love him, his name is wonderful. 
But to a godless, sin-infected, rebellious world, the name brings an angry, distasteful, and reactionary response. So should we be surprised that there is a problem out there with Christ must? Christmas. Happy holidays. Have a great holiday, but we don't want to say anymore Christmas because there's something about the name wrapped in that name. I don't like the name Christ. What does it mean? It means the anointed prophet, king, and priest. And it means that he was the one and the only one to die for our sins. It carries great power. So just this weekend, someone very close to me was told they could no longer say Merry Christmas to people at the department store where they work. Only Happy Holidays. And they informed them, I will not stop saying Merry Christmas. Now let me just talk about this Merry Christmas deal for a minute. Spare me the intellectually insulting argument that this denial of free speech and of my First Amendment rights to say Merry Christmas has anything to do with a desire to be inclusive of other religions. It makes no sense at all to include other religions if you must exclude mine in order to cater to theirs. In Greek mythology, there's a story, and here's the story. In a nutshell, the Greeks had laid siege to the city of Troy, held by the Trojans. And for 10 years, they tried to get in this city. Couldn't get into this city to take it over. The battle was stalemated, so they came up with an idea. We're going to build a big wooden horse. And inside that Trojan horse, we're going to put our own army. And we're going to take that horse, and we're going to try to get that horse through the city gates. And here's the way they got the horse with the Greek army in it through the city gates. They put it down by the seaside and they sent a Greek spy into the Trojans who said to them, if you bring this horse in through the city gates, it brings a blessing. And the blessing is you will be invulnerable to attack. The Trojans believed it. They opened the gates. They pushed the Trojan horse through. And when the Trojan horse got through the gates that the Greeks had not been able to get through for 10 years, out of the Trojan horse came the real reason for the horse, which was an enemy that then defeated Troy, took over the city, and the Greeks conquered the Trojans. Now listen to me. To say, well, we just want to be inclusive of all religions. We just want to let all religions feel at home in our department store so that nobody will be offended, nobody will walk away, nobody will not purchase our goods because we marginalize their religion by saying Merry Christmas. That is the Trojan horse. That's the Trojan horse. And the enemy has said, if I can just get that Trojan horse, that silly belief that somehow if I say Merry Christmas, I'm disenfranchising Jewish people or Muslims or anybody else of any other faith. That's ridiculous. That is stupid. Then I'm being all-inclusive and I'm being tolerant and I'm being big-hearted. No, 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 no. You are being a bigot towards Christianity. Why don't you just admit it? You don't like the name of Christ. Now, now the Trojan horse has gotten through the gates. And it's no wonder to me that now we're seeing what was really inside the Trojan horse. It was not all inclusiveness. It was not about embracing all faiths. It was about releasing under a disguise 
persecution against the Christian faith, and the Christian faith is the only faith in America that is fair game to shoot down, to mock, and to ridicule. And I don't know about you, but I'm going to say Merry Christmas with gusto, with the best of them. That Trojan horse is not getting in here. No, 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 that Trojan horse will not get in here. Now, Kathy and I were talking on the way here, and we decided, yeah, we need to really emphasize, don't say to somebody, Merry Christmas! <laughs> don't say it like you're mad. Don't say it like you're bitter. No, get full of the Holy Ghost. Get full of the love of God and say, Merry Christmas! God bless you! This is a great season because it's the birthday of the Lord Jesus Christ. If those who have now forbidden the use of Merry Christmas have been so greatly and nobly touched by a spirit of fairness and tolerance and big-heartedness toward people embracing faiths other than Christianity, how do they sleep at night knowing that they have placed a grieving damper on a season celebrated by an overwhelming majority of Americans? It's a Trojan horse disguising persecution. Let's get right down to it. It has nothing to do with wanting to embrace other faiths, nor is it an attempt to make better earnings during the Christmas holiday season by being real sure not to offend shoppers of other faiths. That never hurt them before, not ever in the history of America, and it wouldn't hurt them now. And I have a word for the major department stores that have taken this position. Mark this down. If you succeed in removing Christmas from the season and replace it with some plain vanilla, meaningless, vague holiday season phraseology, the day will come when all the excitement and magic and joy that has surrounded the Christmas season will go with it. There will be no more rushes to shop at your stores and at your malls, and you will wish again for the blessing Christmas brought you. You ought to dance with the one that brung you. It's not about wanting to make all people feel comfortable at all times because I don't feel comfortable at all. I submit to you that it is an issue with the name. Christmas. Because the name Christmas contains oh, Christ. And the name Christ reminds us at least once a year in America what the real reason for the season is, that God sent Jesus to save us from our sins and that he is the Christ, the anointed king, prophet, and priest. And they don't want us reminded of his story anymore. But I'm telling you, shut the door and the window will open. Shut the door and the rocks will cry out. This is the reason for the season. His name is J-E-S-U-S, Jesus. John called anything that attacked the person and mission of Christ a spirit. He wrote, little children, it's the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. That is, the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. The spirit of Antichrist. One day, a man will arise. There's no question about it. Thessalonians nails the person as a man. But before the man comes, there is a spirit of Antichrist already in the world. And Antichrist doesn't just mean opposite of Christ. 
Antichristos means that spirit that opposes Christ and everything Christ stands for. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but am I not seeing Christ opposed in our culture, in major department stores and over the mass liberal media? Are we not seeing Christ opposed? John said that is a foretelling, a type, a reflection of the actual man of evil that is coming. That is the spirit that opposes Christ. You say, Pastor Jeff, that's going too far. It's not all that. You ought to chill a little bit. Take it easy. Relax. Why make such a big deal about the whole thing? Because you're taking away from me one of the greatest reminders on earth of what Jesus Christ did for us. I could almost say with Mary, they've taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've laid him. It's a celebration of Jesus' birthday. When it's my birthday, you don't say to me, happy special day. Yeah. Or how about this? Happy, happy day. Or happy, you know what day. Now I'm getting to the age where it'd be good if you did say that. Happy, uh, you know. You say happy birthday, Jeff. I don't see these same department stores seeking to rename the Jewish holiday of Hanukkah or the annual African-American celebration of Kwanzaa. I don't hear a national outcry to rename the annual Muslim observance of Ramadan. If they did, there would be an uproar. Where is the uproar in our culture? If you take Christmas out of the season, you've gutted it of its entire meaning. Christmas is a celebration of the miracle of Christ's birth. Christmas holds the magic that it does because of the miraculous wonder God performed for us on that first Christmas morn. Children do not hang holiday stockings, nor do people cut down holiday trees. Want to go cut down a holiday tree, baby? <laughs> hey, kids, you want to go cut down a holiday tree? No. We don't go holiday shopping, nor do we sing holiday carols. We don't hang holiday lights nor lay out holiday decorations. We don't invite people over for a holiday dinner, nor do we open holiday presents. We don't say to our kids, what would you like for happy holidays? We don't go on holiday break and Santa simply cannot say, ho, 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 happy holidays. The classic movie, It's a Wonderful Life, would be gutted of all of its magic if George Bailey repeatedly screamed with all of his might, Happy Holidays! at the end of the movie. One newspaper editorialist wrote, When I was a kid, America celebrated Christmas. In school, we made Christmas decorations. We got a Christmas break. From my small town grocery store to the big city network television stations, a universal Merry Christmas could be heard. Sometime between my childhood and the present time, American cultural elites began an undeclared war against Christmas, and it has been to devastating effect. Then he goes on. I like this. This Christmas, let's all be honest with each other. Let's not pretend we're celebrating the great winter holiday. Let people everywhere go Christmas shopping without guilt. Let them throw Christmas parties and sing Christmas carols. Let's end the war against Christmas where it started and wish everyone from Atlanta to the Pacific a very Merry Christmas. Jesus is the reason for the season. So I rebel. I refuse to utter the vacuous words. Happy holidays. I stick with the name of Jesus who is called the Christ. 
Peter stated that the lame man at the gate beautiful was healed by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He then explained the supremacy and necessity of this name in receiving salvation. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must, must be saved by the name of Jesus. The apostle Paul wrote, wherefore God also has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of things in heaven, things in earth, and things under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus is the Lord because of the exalted position of this name we are exhorted to rely upon the name of Jesus in all we do or say whatever you do in word or in deed do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ we teach and we preach in the name of Jesus we cast out devils in the name of Jesus we receive supernatural power and protection in the name of Jesus we pray for the sick in the name of Jesus we gather together in the name of Jesus We baptize in the name of Jesus. It's not in any other name. Let's promote that name and lift up that name and glorify that name. It's worthy. If I tried today to stand here and go into all that that name implies, we'd be here all day. Suffice it to say, he's the Alpha and the Omega. Jesus is the wonderful counselor. He's the mighty God. He's the everlasting Father. He's the Prince of Peace. He's the firstborn of every creature. He is our unspeakable gift. He's the Lamb of God. He's the Good Shepherd. He's the bright and the morning star. He's the Christ, the Anointed One, the Messiah. He's Emmanuel. He's our Holy One. He's the light of the world. He's the day spring. He's the Word. He's our servant. He's our King. He's our Rose of Sharon, the Lily of the Valley, the Friend who sticks closer than a brother. He's our Savior, our Shiloh, our resting place, our Ancient of Days. His name is Jesus. To the artist, he's the one altogether lovely. To the architect, he's the chief cornerstone. To the astronomer, he's the son of righteousness. To the baker, he's the living bread. To the banker, he's the hidden treasure. To the biologist, he is the life. To the carpenter, he's the sure foundation. To the doctor, he's the great physician. To the educator, he's the great teacher. To the farmer, he's the sower and the Lord of the harvest. To the florist, he's the lily of the valley. He is the rose of Sharon. To the geologist, he's the rock of ages. To the horticulturist, he's the true vine. To the judge, he's the righteous judge. To the juror, he's the true witness. To the jeweler, he's the pearl of great price. To the editor, he's the tidings of great peace. To the optometrist, he's the light of the eyes. To the philosopher, he's the wisdom of God. To the printer, he's the true type. To the servant, he's the good master. To the student, he's the incarnate truth. To the weary, he's the giver of rest. To the sinner, he's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And to the Christian, to the child of God, he's the son of the living God, our Savior, the Redeemer, and Lord, and soon coming King of kings and Lord of lords. I stand with Jesus. We praise you, Lord. We praise you. Give him praise. Thank you, Lord God. We give you praise. Thank you, Lord. We give you praise. Thank you, Lord. So I end this message today with a great big rolling, happy, joyful, merry 
Christmas. Hallelujah to God. Now, Lord, we come to you in the place of prayer. And as a church body, we declare that we will not cave to the pressure of a minority who have been infected by the spirit of Antichrist, who hate Jesus and all that he stands for. But as the church, Lord, we stand with your name, even if we have to suffer for that name, be rejected for that name. We know that the spirit of God and of glory will rest upon us. We are identified by your name. So we say, Jesus, thank you, Savior from our sins. And Christ, we thank you for being the anointed prophet and priest and king, the one and only. So we say, Lord Jesus Christ, bless our church. Help us to reach people with the message you came to bring that first Christmas morn.